When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Sarita Domingo. Sarita joined me to discuss her latest book, Who's Loving You? Love Stories by Women of Colour. The book is a collection of 10 original short stories from female writers of colour covering love in all its guises, from lost love to forbidden love to unrequited love. We spoke about why a book like this is so necessary and why the romantic fiction sphere is so dominated by white voices. We also talk about why diverse storytelling is so important within the romantic genre in particular and how it can impact the way people behave in their own love lives. And Sarita also spoke about what writing about love has done to impact her own relationships and how she separates fact from fiction. Enjoy the show. Hello. Hi. Hi there. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. You know, surviving. Yeah, I think that's probably the best that all of us can say to that question at the moment. Um, (laughs) So we are here to talk about your brilliant book, Who's Loving You? So I want to start off by asking you a bit about what made you want to create this wonderful anthology of short stories and what, what, what it is about these particular stories that you enjoyed and how you went about, I guess, curating the anthology as well. Mm. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's a collection of love stories written by British women of colour. And having had um, a couple of novels out myself um, that have been sort of classed as romantic fiction, when I was going into spaces that were ostensibly for like promoting romance or um, any of those kind of events, I was often the only person of colour there. And, you know, it did feel quite lonely. Um, I mean, romance as a genre, particularly in the UK, isn't really something that I see a lot of writers of colour pursuing. So, I kind of wanted to put together a collection of stories, particularly written by British women of colour, um, to kind of redress that to a certain degree, but also to just sort of speak to some of my favourite authors, both established and up and coming, and have them write a story based around love that is not necessarily sort of um, within the constraints of what people always perceive romance to be like I think people have a lot of preconceptions about romance fiction and I wanted these writers to feel free to sort of write on the topic in whatever way they saw fit 
so it it was kind of um yeah about approaching these writers and seeing if they'd be up for doing that mm. i um i feel like uh you describe yourself on your website as um a hopeless but realistic romantic um i feel mm -hmm. like you have like a similar fascination with romance as i do um what is it about that kind of genre of writing and that, i guess that genre of popular culture more generally that you find mm. so compelling and have you always found it so compelling i think i have yeah um and i think it the the key thing for me at least is the vicarious feeling of romantic stories romantic fiction or romantic films it's getting to live that that experience of falling in love again and again and again because who doesn't enjoy that feeling? And even if, you know, I'm married and I'm in a, a committed relationship, but it's still such a compelling thing to live that experience through other people and have all sorts of different scenarios that you can live um, through those works. So I think that's the thing that I find most compelling about, about mm -hmm. it. I completely agree. And that, that fits really well into my next question, because obviously I think in order to really empathise with a story and with, um, a love story and with those characters it helps if you can identify with them in some way and I know mm. this is one of the reasons why I wanted to write about the book because there is such a dearth of romantic stories featuring people of colour particularly when you look at like the kind of classic hit rom-coms of the noughties yeah. it's all that all films fronted by white people so I know in the introduction to the book you wrote about how the first time you saw people falling in love that looked like you on screen it was in an American film so can you talk to me a bit about what the film was and how that kind of impacted impacted you? Yeah, the film the film was Love Jones, which um, I think came out in must have been like the late nineties um, or maybe early two thousands. But it it featured uh, uh, the central characters are played by Lorenz Tate and Nia Long. But it's a story that's kind of, um, you know, he's playing an author and she's a photographer. They are creative people um, and sort of the circle in which they moved were people who I just kind of could identify with as creative people, as people who um, kind of had an interest in the type of music I liked. And, the, you know, they go to poetry nights and things like that. And it just wasn't something I'd seen represented on screen before. Um, you know, I was too young to be like, you know, going off to poetry nights and things like that myself. But it was sort of the first time I saw a black couple on screen falling in love and having a love story like that, um, where I felt I could really identify with the characters that I was seeing. Because as you say, there are so, well, certainly at that period, at least there were so few films that I felt did that. Mm. Also, I think it's really important for white people as well. Obviously, this sounds like yeah. a really silly point, but it's really important for white people not just to be reared on a culture where they only see love stories fronted by white people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I talk a bit about that in the, the introduction to Who's Loving You as well, because it kind of is about that sense of being conditioned to view people a certain way. And this is across all fiction, but I think it's particularly important in romantic stories that that people of color black people asian people and other minorities are seen as desirable they're seen as worthy of love they're seen as people who do fall in love fall in love with one another, one another fall in love with other people um you know that i i have encountered 
people who find it surprising when they read or see stories featuring black people say, and it's just a love story, they either expect something else to be going on, some kind of trauma or whatever, or they are legitimately surprised that like we fall in love and have relationships in the same way that they do, which is disturbing. It's, it's, it's really disturbing and it's really absurd. I was talking about this with Baloo Babalola when she came on the show in July, talking yeah. about her book. And it's just like, it's this kind of, there's just a real, whenever you do have these love stories that do feature people of color, often the subject matter is at least partly to do with race or racial issues. And obviously to me that's important, but if that is the main focus, it sort of detracts away from the point because it's like, you need to have these stories where that's not a factor. Otherwise, Absolutely. you know, it's just, it's just more of that same conditioning. So when mm. you were growing up, how did, how did not kind of seeing yourself represented in popular culture within those kind of romantic stories shape your own understanding of desirability and desirability politics? I mean, I think inevitably it, it did lead to a sense that the type of people who were, who were desirable weren't people who looked like me, they were white people. Um, you know, I don't know to what extent I really internalized that, but it was definitely something that was, was um, it was something I was aware of. And in terms of how it's shaped my sort of relationships going forward, I, I, I do think that to a certain extent, it has shaped my perceptions of, um, of who is desirable or um, what other people might think is desirable desirable in me um or not desirable as the case may be mm. i think that's why like you said like you know diversity in popular culture is so important i think mm. particularly within romantic stories because it is you know falling in love is one of those rare things that most people on the planet probably do so yeah. it's like if you don't see people who you can identify with doing that like you said inevitably that is going to then fuel some sort of insecurity about well am I worthy of love um, if I don't yeah. look like that I mean the only way that I can identify that as a white woman is just in terms of body diversity on screen mm -hmm. because one of the yeah. other things that is so rare is to see plus size women fronting these romantic comedies these classic rom-coms and thinking there was one there was that Rebel Wilson one uh, yes, not I that long ago yeah, but like um, that was like maybe two years yeah. ago, and that was the first mm. kind of rom com fronted by a plus size woman. But but that's the thing; it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <It> wasn't. <laughs> there was that. But that's yeah. the way it was sold because it was like then there was that whole controversy about it. How it was actually like women of color have been fronting like yeah. plus size yeah. women have been fronting these rom coms, and it's like it it just it highlighted the whole issue really, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of it. it as you point out, it is, it's such a universal feeling, um, the idea of falling in love, or an, a universal desire at least. I, I doubt there are many humans on the planet who deep down wouldn't like the sense of finding that one other person who sees them for them and desires them, loves them. And it's not necessarily just obviously a physical thing, but it is so important to, start, to sort of have that sense of being recognized for your whole self, that is what love does is, um, you know, hopefully it will allow you to be seen as in your, your entirety. And I think 
if we don't see depictions of that, it's dangerous. It, it genuinely is. It's dangerous for the people who aren't represented, but it is also dangerous for the people who are represented. Because as you say, they need to be conditioned in the same way that others do. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Some of the subjects that the stories touch on, um, I want to kind of delve into those a bit more. So one of them that I find endlessly fascinating is unrequited love. So mm-hmm. I think this topic I find particularly interesting I think recently because of now we live in this age of social media and dating apps, that feeling of loving someone and not having them love you back is almost, I feel like, exacerbated in contemporary culture because, you know, you can you can never really cut someone out of your life. You can see the person mm. that you adore who doesn't love you back. You can see them on Instagram with their partner who isn't you or like you can follow their whole relationship it's like it's more painful and I feel like we kind of live in this culture where we almost we indulge that pain and suffering a bit more Mm. (laughs) Um, because there's like something romantic in it you know what I mean yeah I think that's an interesting take on it because I always think of unrequited love as not necessarily positive but kind of a that that sense of yearning is in, inherently very romantic and I think that I guess it, it depends on whether you've had the sort of opportunity to have a romantic relationship with that person and they've rejected you I think that's different and then I think you're right if you then see them you know everywhere you turn on social media with somebody else that that's sort of a different kettle of fish but I guess there's also the unrequited love way that other person may not even be aware that you're having those feelings towards them. So there's always that sense of potential, which mm. I think, you know, maybe in some regards, it's better not to know a person if you have that kind of sense of unrequited love, because then they're more of a fantasy for you. Mm. Um, and that can have its positive aspects as well, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting subject. Traditionally, unrequited love you know, it was the basis of sonnet writing. Like, it was literally an art. Um, there, was, there was something artistic about loving someone that doesn't love you back and writing about it. And very often the men, because it was often men writing these sonnets, didn't know the women who they were writing about. But mm. do, you think, do you think we run the risk, like because of that history, do you think occasionally we run the risk of 
romanticizing and kind of fetishizing that feeling of yearning. Yeah, I think that is a possibility. Um, and I, I suppose it can be dangerous if, if people are projecting a sort of ideal on a person they don't really know. And I think that that's true of any relationship. But I do think it is, um, as you point out, it could be a different dynamic if it's the man projecting an ideal onto women or femininity. Um, that, that can have its dangerous aspects because, you know, if men um, sort of perceive women a certain way and women don't necessarily want to live up to those sort of ideals or stereotypes, you can run into difficulties. So yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. How did you go about, um, when you were choosing the stories, were you conscious of making sure that they covered like a, a wide range of different love stories in terms of like you have the unrequited love stories, you have the kind of forbidden love stories, the kind of lost love stories, were you very conscious of that so that it was kind of an all encompassing anthology? I mean, beyond asking each of the authors to write um, what they viewed as a love story, I didn't really prescribe things in, in that sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I, I did sort of um, determine what they were planning to write and make sure like, in case there was something that was glaringly similar to another story. But because there is such a multitude of stories, it didn't really come up as an issue. It was really just sort of, maybe in terms of the order of the stories in the book, balancing things out and making sure that two stories weren't, you know, juxtaposed in a way that was sort of too similar. But no, I don't think, I, I think because of the natural multitude of stories that there are, it didn't really come across as an, it didn't come up as an issue. Mm, it's really funny that, because I think if you tell someone, if you just give someone the brief, tell me a love story, mm. I think it's impossible to get a, a similar response from two people because exactly. everyone everyone's experience of it is so different that's why it's such an interesting topic isn't it because it's like it mm -hmm. is like I said at the beginning it is something that most people do but everyone experiences yeah. it differently yes exactly yeah um so you also talk about this idea of forbidden love um that's that's in who's loving you and we also kind of we saw that in your debut novel right mm -hmm. that was kind of based on yes. forbidden love Talk to me a bit about what that was what that was about and what made you want to write that story. Yeah, so my debut novel, um, it's called The Nearness of You and it came out in 2016. And it is a story about um, the central character is in love with uh, her best friend's boyfriend. And he has recently moved in with them. Um, so, you know, the torture is extra, <laughs> extra potent for her. Um, and she's also kind of dealing with a lot of sort of personal issues that have come up for her recently. The story begins with her discovering a suicide by the side of the Thames. It brings up um, issues of her with her mother and all of this kind of thing. But um, yeah, there, there is a sort of forbidden love aspect there. Um, her best friend goes away and she's sort of left in the flat with this man that she's in love with that she's not meant to be getting involved with and inevitably mm. there's tension <laughs> it's such an interesting tension to explore that I think it's like mm -hmm. that kind of trio of like the best friend getting in the way between the dust yeah. of lovers is something I it's like endlessly gripping I'm, I'm thinking of examples <laughs> like I've seen it in 
again, these are all examples fronted by white people, which makes such, which goes back to what we were saying before, but I'm thinking of One Tree Hill, BOC, Something yeah. Borrowed, like mm -hmm. all of those kind of entities. Yeah. Um, so what, what was it that made you kind of want to explore that trio dynamic and how, how do you think you brought something to it that put like a fresh perspective on it? Because like we said, it is something that we see in so many different kind of forms. Mm. I mean, I think love triangles is sort of, um, yeah, as you say, it's a classic dynamic. But I think in terms of storytelling, tension is so important, or it's important to me, at least in a story, and romantic tension, uh, particularly. So it's just an easy way to create tension by setting up char a char character dynamic where um, you know that these two people aren't supposed to be together. It just heightens the tension between them because you're waiting and waiting and waiting for them to get together. So I think from a narrative perspective, that was why I wanted to explore that. But um, I think this sort of spin on it, I mean, because if you just take it on the surface, my best friend's boyfriend sounds like something you'd write to an agony aunt or something, but I did want to make it kind of um, a bit more about, I guess a bit more realistic. It's sort of um, kind of a coming of age story. The central character Taylor is sort of reconciling a lot of things, not just romantically, but also as I've said in her personal life, trying to find a direction sort of, um, when I started writing it, it was in that sort of post-university, what am I meant to do? I've done an arts degree, what am I meant to do with that kind of space? So I wanted to make sure that it was relatable in that regard as well. Um, she's a mixed race character, she's a mixed race black woman, her best friend's a mixed race black woman as well. So all those aspects, I just kind of wanted to make it feel, um, yeah, a bit different than what you might think of as the cliche when you hear, I'm in love with my best friend's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also, it's a dynamic that happens so often in real life as well. Yes. Oh, <laughs> all the time. absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, it wasn't my experience just to put it out there, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we spoke about this on, on my previous episode about how um, women who write about love, because we know that female novelists always get asked how much of their work is biographical, but I think mm. it is particularly targeted at women who write about sex and relationships. Yes, um, absolutely. And I wanted to, this is like, this is quite personal, so you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but mm -hmm. I am just interested as someone who's, a lot of my work is about interrogating relationships and kind of asking questions and talking to people about romance, like every two weeks that I do on the podcast, mm -hmm. I'm writing a book about it. I <laughs> noticed the impact that that has on my own relationships. I wonder mm. if that, if you have noticed that in your life as you have, you know, you have made a career out of this as well. Yeah. Has that impacted your own behavior and relationships at all? Do you know what? Honestly, I don't think it has in the sense that I, I, I kind of feel like maybe it's because I write fiction. I don't know, but it does feel quite separate. Um, it, it feels like, I guess when I'm writing it, it feels the same way I might feel when I read a romantic story. It's a fantasy to, even though I like quite realistic stories, it's a, it's a fantasy to a certain extent. It doesn't feel like how I'd navigate romance in my real life. Um, you know, I've never felt compelled to write a story based on my own life and experience. I mean, I've been with my partner for years, 
and not not to denigrate him but it it doesn't feel like something that I'd be compelled to sort of document in mm. my fiction it feels very separate um, for me and you know even previous relationships or dalliances or whatever I've never thought let me draw on that experience um, mm. it always feels like something I invent completely in my head um, but yeah, it is interesting that people, I think it helps once you've had multiple stories out, they realize it can't possibly be that your story um, is being repeated over and again, but people do have that conception that you're writing your own experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think the more stories you kind of churn out, people eventually understand, yeah. <laughs> like this can't all be <laughs> about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, it's time for our lessons in love segment. So this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they've learned from their previous relationship experiences. Uh, so Sarita, what is your lesson in love? I think one of the key lessons I've had is kind of not, not settling. So I think um, I've certainly had experiences where um, I felt just grateful to be in a relationship at all. And I think that is never a good place to be coming from in a relationship. It needs to serve you and it needs to be on your own terms. Um, so I think one of the key lessons, yeah, is not to not to settle and not to just be grateful um mm. but to really make sure that relationship is serving you mm, I think that's a really good one because settling is such a it's such an it's such an easy thing to do in the sense that you won't re you don't necessarily realize you're doing it until you stopped <laughs> yes exactly exactly it is sort of a lesson you learn in hindsight but I think the more you can sort of dial into your own gut feelings about a situation the more you'll be able to think no, I deserve better. I deserve something more, something different, or, mm. or just something that supports where I am at this present moment in my life. How much of that do you think is also about kind of like trusting your own instincts? And like, you know, if you, because if you are settling, chances are maybe you have like this kind of like niggling feeling beforehand yes. and yeah. you ignore it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is about learning to, um, yeah, trust your instincts, trust your gut feelings. I mean, that that's easier said than done because obviously if you're aware you're settling, you're aware something's not quite right. But I think particularly as women, it's kind of easier to think, well, this is something that everyone expects me to do or everyone um, strives for and I've got it, so I shouldn't let it go. I shouldn't take it for granted. Um, that feeling of just being grateful um, and it's important we shed that and sort of focus on ourselves. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a new listener to this show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or anywhere else. You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up to do with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 